Have you struggled with multiple injuries and felt that they weren't going to stop? My guest today, Fred Rutman, talks to us about multiple injuries and his journey back from recovering from concussions and near-death experiences. He is in the process of writing his memoir, The Summer I Died 20 Times, along with the sequel, Dead Again in the Summer, Died 20 Times Continues. He talks with us about his passions and how that has helped him in his concussion recovery. Also, he talks about the role of nutrition, which is something I have always talked with the people I work with. We know that there is this body and brain triad between sleep, nutrition, and movement. So Fred allows us a window into his experiences. And for him, nutrition and recovering from diabetes was capable in the form of intermittent fasting. So I don't do a deep dive into intermittent fasting because I'm not a nutritionist and this isn't medical advice. However, I will add the caveat that if you're thinking of doing a diet like intermittent fasting, I recommend you seeing your doctor for this. It's not a diet that I would typically say is something I'd want concussion or brain injury survivors to try on their own or for just, you know, kind of a routine reason. It might have made a lot of sense for this particular guest. And he consulted a lot of folks in that process. So I'm going to link my episode with Crystal Merrills, who's a nutritionist and an expert in TBI and a survivor herself, by the way. And we've chatted a little bit in preparation for this episode coming out. And I actually hope to have her back on the podcast for season two in the fall. So Let's take a listen to Fred. He has some really great just words of wisdom for you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett, where we explore the heart of brain injury. Hi, Fred. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate you having me on. Yes. So I wanted to kick it off to you and ask you, what's something about brain injury that people often misunderstand? Well, um, I think just starting with one, it's one of those invisible injuries that, you know, if you can't see it, it's not, it doesn't exist. And unlike a a broken arm or something like that, uh, which is just one little thing broken, when you have a a brain injury, it can affect dozens of functions. Um, All, you know, having their own experience and affecting you differently on different days. And uh, it, it can be just insane. Yes. Yeah, we often talk about the invisible nature of brain injuries on here and how most folks just don't get that. We get a lot of the you look fine comments that we unpack mm-hmm. here. So maybe we can just segue into your brain injury story and give folks a little bit of background on you and uh, what you've experienced from your experience with concussion and brain injury. 
Sure. Um, it started in the summer of 20, uh, 2009, and I had a series of events where the doctors thought I was passing out randomly. And every time I passed out randomly, I would hit my head on whatever was the hardest object in the universe that was around to hit my head on. And this happened to me about 20 times. So, you know, concussion city, and I had about 20 concussions in four months. And those just layer on each other and layer on each other. And, you know, it depends where you hit your head and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Because the prior concussions didn't have time to heal. So it just became a very, very cumulative effect. And I was so shell-shocked from what was happening to me, which was actually, I have a condition called a severe complete heart block. And so I wasn't passing out. My heart was actually stopping. Wow. And so to layer on top of um, the concussions, I also went for prolonged periods of having no oxygen in my brain. So I had that double, triple cumulative effect. And it really did a number on me. You know, I lost memory. I lost speech. I had an entire language knocked out of my brain. It, you know, affected uh, my fine motor skills, my gross motor skills, my depth perception. It was, it was just a mess. I mean... I, I can remember going to the subway uh, and, you know, subway platforms have a little tilt to them. So, you know, if people are coming wet from the rain or whatever, the water drains towards the, the subway channel, it would feel like I was falling off a mountain some days. Wow. And, and I would just have to crawl back uh, towards the middle of the platform and sit against the wall for 15, 20 minutes until all that went away. So this is just, you know, one of the fun things that come with multiple concussions and post-trauma. Yeah, so tell us a thing. little bit about what life was like before what you were doing, maybe career-wise, family-wise, what that, what your life looked like and what types of things that you did on a day-to-day -day basis. I had, uh, I guess, a pretty normal life. I was, uh, I was a professor in a college. I was teaching marketing and finance mm -hmm. and, uh, it was an interesting time because, you know, 2008, we had the financial collapse. So I had to learn to teach a new way because you had material to teach to the students in real time. You know, we were just getting tech savvy and you could bring uh, the Internet into the room and show financial reports and people being interviewed and stuff like that. So it was really, really interesting and a better way to teach the students. Then everything came crashing down with uh, with these little incidents. So basically, it, it tore away my life because this has actually happened to me three times. So I just got back to where I was going to get back to work in 2013. And then it happened again. And the same thing happened in 2018. So... I'm I'm pretty much on permanent so we've, disability. We've become like having the concussions, or just tell what part happened again. Everything, everything okay. happened. My heart started stopping, which doesn't make sense, <laughs> and uh, and I would collapse and hit my head, and then it happened again in 2018. 
And the initial correction for this was a pacemaker. So for the audience who don't know what a pacemaker is, it's a little computer about the size of a pocket watch. And depending on your condition, they run wires or leads from the pacemaker into your heart and it replaces your heart signals. And uh, it worked for a while and then it didn't work. The pacemaker leads cracked and shorted out. So when the pacemaker stops, I stop and then it happened again. So I'm a sort of like a one in a billion uh, anomaly uh, medically. I, I shouldn't be alive, uh, mm. the, to put it simply. I just shouldn't be alive. I would imagine that having this happen, not once, not twice, but three times would be just totally unsettling. I mean, you think you've gotten over this, you think you're on the, on the road to recovery, and then you're right back where you were, which I think a lot of survivors from a brain injury talk about with regard to re-injury. I know yours is, has some definitely nuances regarding your medical history, but just talk to me about maybe even emotionally or psychologically what that what that did to you and what that meant for you. Mostly in psychology, I guess initially you're so shocked that something's happening to you and it took so long for the doctors to figure it out that you're you're totally unsettled. You you know, you can't think straight to start with. You can't go into your normal problem-solving modes. You don't know what your next steps are because you don't know if you're ever getting out of the hospital. Um, so that was that was really really bad. And then you don't know how long your recovery is going to take because, in my experience, nobody gave me a roadmap of how I was supposed to recover. the The focus was all on the let's get the heart fixed. And, you know, during this whole episode, I never had an MRI. I never had um, a CAT scan. Nobody ever came in and gave me a neurological assessment, wow. uh, except for one nurse who gave me the pen and, like, follow my pen. And I'm going to tell if you have a concussion. Well, How did you do that test? <laughs> you know, so um, there was no blueprint. And I had to figure out myself how to help myself recover. And you know that learning is always good for you. I had to relearn all my core subjects that I was teaching. You know, my fine motor skill and my gross motor skill and things like that. Uh, so I went to heavy bike riding because exercise is generally always good for you. And, and heavy duty learning is generally good for you. There's probably other things now that we might find that would be additionally beneficial. But that's all I had to go with then. So you just, so, and where did that knowledge come from? The, I need to get bike riding. I need to learn. Was that something you told yourself just from your, your life before that this, these are the things that usually work. So I'm going to try this. I think so. I didn't think of it overtly as saying, if I ride my bike and I go back and take a bunch of courses and do some higher end learning, uh, it's going to result in some neuroplasticity or whatever, because I didn't even know that term uh, probably until 2017 or 18. But it just seemed the right thing to do. I've always been a, a lifelong learner. Uh, so that's, that's what I did. And 
in this case, it got me where to where I thought I would be functional to go back to work. And I don't how know did that, that I'd how be. that progress? What you said, there wasn't a blueprint. You tried these things. And then what? how did that work for you? It worked well. It was difficult. But it, it's all uh, like a treasure hunt. You know, I'll try a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Try these types of courses, those types of courses. And, you know, get myself up to snuff um, credentially, that was that was my initial goal to get my credentials back up to stuff so that I'd be able to teach again. And um, it helped to a degree. So I think I got myself up to to where I could have gone into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was still having flooding events all the time. Um, so if the audience doesn't know what flooding is, it's when all of a sudden you have a disproportionate a uh, wave of emotion hit you that's uh, just so, so powerful. It stops you in your tracks. And, you know, that's not a really good look when you're in front of a, a classroom of 35, 40 students, and all of a sudden you're paralyzed for four minutes. So um, I still have those to this day, but they're much, much reduced. Right, right. And you're you're not definitely not alone in that. So I've heard many people talk about those overwhelming waves of some people call it flooding. Some people call it, you know, white fuzz or anxiety or just frozen in my body. Mm -hmm. So I think there's multiple ways people describe it, but I kind of think through the stress cycle. And when we get to a certain point, our body either has a few options. It's fight, flight, or or freeze. And we forget the freeze. Mm -hmm that mm-hmm. oftentimes we will just freeze because either sensory things are too much emotionally. It's just like, I don't even know what is happening here. There's too much input. And uh, so, so we'll maybe back up to getting back to teaching. Were you able to do that or was it there a re-injury at that point? There was a re-injury and I went back to almost ground zero um, with what I had to relearn. And uh you know, it's an exhausting process. Um, your body's trying to heal. And I think, you know, every time you get a flood or I forget the other terms you used, but, you know, that's also exhausting. And and I think part of it is your body has not 100% rewired itself to, to send all the emotions and thoughts and feelings and energies where they need to go. And you know, you just hit a roadblock and then it just washes back at you. So if you're standing in front of a wall throwing a ball or a tennis ball and uh, and you throw it right back at your face, that's where it's going to go. It's going to hit you in the face and there's going to be repercussions from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so, my theory. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so if you're throwing the tennis ball, so you mean if like, you keep trying to do the same thing and get the same result that like that thing keeps happening, like throwing the tennis ball Mm -hmm. and then it comes back and hits you in the face. Is that what you mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I find, I find folks get so frustrated with that because they're trying to, to, there's no blueprint a lot of times for folks, although we're learning more about concussion and treatment and how we can make this so much easier and give people Mm -hmm. access to treatments that would really help them. So that, Mm -hmm. I hope this is one of the reasons for the podcast so people can get some of that information. 
mm-hmm. and the treatment that can be helpful. Uh, but yeah, I, think I know one- some, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a, a Facebook group for people with TBIs and, you know, everybody's TBI is so different Yes. Um, that what works for me won't work for you. Mm-hmm. And what works for you won't work for me. Um, so there's a lot of people using bariatric uh, tents and I'm not suggesting this as a, a medical uh, procedure for people or a therapeutic. It's just what I'm hearing and what I see people using. Um, a lot of people are using saunas, you know, whether it be the wet sauna or the dry sauna. And all of them try to use exercise in whatever capability they have, because yeah. not everybody can, you know, walk up four flights of stairs. Right. So. So it sounds like through the group, you guys are kind of putting out there what's working. This is what's working for me. And this is what I'm finding is helpful in my recovery. And I think community and when I see survivors come together, that's a really lovely process. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've had a podcast guest on Christabel Breeden and she, I never heard somebody talk about just a simple thing of, I wear a hat when I'm in the grocery store and that reduces my visual input. And it's not something, it's not a medical treatment, but it's just a survivor hack that, hey, this really helps. This helps me. And I've told people about it and they're, they've started doing that. So mm-hmm. I just, I just love when, when people can get together and just share information. I think that's really valuable. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's like when horse ra- racing horses, they put blinders on them. Mm-hmm. So they can't see everything that's going on beside them and and get freaked out. But I I also think if you think of your brain as the ultimate radar system, it adjusts what frequencies are coming in when you have a brain injury. Yes. And and you have no idea that these are new to your brain and it doesn't understand them and it's going to hit you differently. And so reducing those stimuli. Uh, can be really beneficial. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Share anything else that you'd like to share that's been helpful in your recovery, helpful, and maybe we can fast forward to maybe more now. So you said 2018 was one of the last re-injuries. Maybe give us an update of how things are going now and what things that you've done that's been helpful for you specifically. Well, I've done three primary things, one of which I think is responsible for the large majority of um, my recovering neurologically, for sure. Hi, everyone. Just interrupting your programming a little bit. It's Dr. Jen here. I wanted to let you know about my new email course. So I developed an email course in the past couple months just to give you kind of my basics on concussion and brain injury recovery. I go a little bit over my strategies for managing nervous system changes and also mindset shifts and how to find your people. So that's the main focus of the email course. And I also talk a little bit about my coaching offerings. So you might have felt that you've been trying to seek either mental health services, and that's just not possible in your area to have someone with expertise in brain injury and wellness and mental health. And although this is different from mental health counseling, you might benefit from coaching or someone who can come alongside you and just kind of point you in different directions and resources and possibly connect you with resources near you. 
So if you're interested in any, any of that, please take me up on my free resource, which is the email course. And if you're interested about my coaching offerings, please head over to tbitherapist.com. Back to your program. Okay. So the first thing is exercise because generally exercise is always good for you. Of course, check with your appropriate medical professionals for of course. any of these things we're about to talk about. Yes. Um, so I ride my bike almost everywhere. Um, I would, because my pacemakers were failing, I stopped driving. You know, it's one thing for me to ride a bike and my pacemaker to stop and me to run into a tree. It's another thing for me to be driving in a major street and my pacemaker would stop and, you know, you, run into a crowd of people. Um, no, I've driven a couple of times. I've been given permission from the doctors and because uh, we finally got everything dialed in and this hasn't happened for quite a while. So, um, but I'm still not comfortable. There's still that anxiety running in the background, the, the what if. So, um, and I'm probably having another surgery within the year. And maybe after that surgery, I'll, I'll get more confident they've fixed all this craziness. Um, the second thing I did was I amped up my learning. So I come from an Orthodox Jewish background. And I started learning with um, a bunch of guys who have been learning for decades. And they learn what's called the Talmud. It's a series of, I'm sorry? I know what it is. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, say, say um, it's basically a, a set of law books. It's ancient rabbis um, discussing, you know, the absolute minutia of how to apply laws in very, very complex situations. And it's actually done a, a large degree of rewiring of my brain um, because of techniques I've used trying to follow these discussions that take you down these rabbit holes <laughs> of craziness. Um, and you really see how intelligent these people were two, 3,000 years ago um, that they could think at, at such a deep level. So that's been very beneficial. So I'm not suggesting you should study the Talmud, but <laughs> you know, if you can find something that's way outside your comfort zone, it'll help rewire your brain. And I've heard, I've heard that a lot with people trying, mm -hmm. you know, different things like painting or some kind of musical instrument, like things that they've never done, which has pretty strong evidence in neuroplasticity of doing a different type of skill, learning something new mm -hmm. encourages more neural growth in the brain. So definitely, I know that research. <laughs> I, I have a friend who's an artist and she put heavy pressure on me to start drawing things. So I'm, I'm writing a book about my experience. It's called The Summer I Died 20 Times. And, uh, so I've, I have no fine motor skill, like all the artistic talents went to other people in my family, uh, musicianship went to other people in the family, mathematics went to other people in the family, but she, she forced me to start drawing and, and it's awful, but you do feel like you're gaining something. Yeah, while you're and doing I, it. I had another podcast guest say that they did paint by number. So it wasn't so much about their product, but, but just like using the color, using that different part of the brain that really helped things kind of loosen up within their recovery. Mm -hmm. So that would be a double whammy for me, you know, math and, and the painting. <laughs> 
for me, far and away, I think the the most effective uh, protocol that I did is I started intermittent fasting. And, you know, as we talked before the show, intermittent fasting is not for everybody, you know, especially if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or you've had eating disorders. Uh, A lot of research is starting to come out now about the health benefits of intermittent fasting as opposed to just the weight loss. Um, But that's something you'll have to research and, you know, address on your own with your own medical team. Yeah. And I'll try to see if I can dig any, if I see any IF, I'm shortening that to intermittent, intermittent fasting IF. <laughs> and you said Dr. I think Matson at John Hopkins. Dr. Mark Matson. Mark Matson. Okay. So, or if there's any other resources we might want to give to folks and I'm going to see yeah. if there's any TBI specific r- literature for you guys <laughs> to dig into uh, because I like to see if, if I just don't know the literature myself uh, personally. So <laughs> I was going to dig into that. Yeah, this is the the protocol and the person I follow. Okay, so it's a New York Times bestseller. Jen Stevens. 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 Yeah, I don't know who created the pH equals V thing. It can be Stephens. It can be Stevens. Like who came up with that? I know. I can never. It's Stephen Stevens. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Jen is Jen. Yes, Jen is Jen. That makes sense to me. Okay, so, so I, I follow so IF has been definitely helpful for you. Exercise. What was the f- other thing? Learning. Learning. Learning crazy biblical texts. <laughs> yeah, that's and, and it sounds like you have been a lifelong learner. And I like to think of what is what were you like before and what were things that you were into before and what worked for you. So being a lifelong learner makes a lot of sense that that might be a key in your recovery in ways you're able to do it. I've always tried to find ways to make myself better. I guess I was sort of a pre-biohacker and did a lot of, you know, Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey and and, uh, Zig Ziglar and all those, you know, how to better communicate with people and uh, all those types of things. So it was often more social or uh, work related, you know, how to sell, how to market, stuff like that. And, and being a marketer and a professor, you've always got to be up on the current trends and things of that nature. So that was the bulk majority of my learning. I have a learning disability um, and really bad eyesight. So Reading for pleasure on top of all that was really not in my wheelhouse. I'm just starting to learn to to do a little bit of that. Uh, and mostly it's reading things that uh, people in my author, author's group have produced. So acting as a beta reader for people. So, you know, I'm writing a memoir and they're writing young adult fiction, which mm-hmm. I never would have picked up on my own. But uh, I think it makes a difference. Um mm-hmm. And now so my memory is me blanking. About, sorry, go ahead. I was saying my memory is blanking, so I'm not sure what you want me to answer. <laughs> sure. Well, talk to me about writing your story and how that, what's coming up for you around writing your story and putting these things to paper? That's a great question. Uh, initially, I started trying to write it down as a journal, more like a journaling exercise, I had no intention of writing a book. And then it sort of 
spiraled. And then somebody suggested I enter a short story contest. And I started trying to write it. And they had a word limit, like 1,800 words. And like, you know, in six hours, I was like way past that. So that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so I just kept writing. And it would go in spurts, as, as a lot of times these things do. And then I was actually starting to have some heft. And as I was writing it, I was getting really mad and really upset because as you go on, you don't remember, at least for my TBI, you don't remember things linearly. So, I mean, I'm still having memories now of things that happened in 2009 that it's like, oh, I'd forgotten that. And, you know, and I, I don't want to bash the medical community. For, for the most part, they're amazing and they've kept me alive despite some of their best efforts not to. <laughs> um, but the, uh, I would get so mad. Like, how could they have misdiagnosed me like this? And how did I have, you know, this nurse who was just so oblivious and wouldn't listen to me or the doctors that wouldn't listen to me? Um, I have a unique condition right now where I actually have two pacemakers running concurrently in my body. Oh my gosh. Which is pretty much rarity because one keeps failing. The other is a backup. They try to various things. That's the best solution they've, they've come up with. And I tell that to a new doctor. They just don't believe me. I'm like, you can put your hands on my chest. You can see there's two pacemakers here. You know, right. you can get your pacemaker monitoring machine, put one on each and you can see they're both alive. Like read my reports and the medical uh, what's the word? Cognitive dissonance and, and the ego in some of these people is just mind blowing. Like, read the record, read what my surgeon put, it's right in front of you, and yet they still don't want to believe you. Um, so, I'm what, finding why do you think like, that is? Why do you think that they, or maybe some, some professionals may not want to believe you or believe what you've been through? But I think we're a, a very let's solve the problem uh, medical system. And they come up with an idea of what the problem is before they fully examined the data. And if you go into Emerge, you know, you're lucky to see a doctor for five minutes. And go they just look at the results. of. If you go into an emergency room. Oh, emergency room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, us cool kids use the short form emerge. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that reference. Is that Canadian? Emerge? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've never heard of that referred. We would say ER. Yeah. Um, you know, you're lucky to see a doctor for five minutes. And they look at a bunch of blood tests and, you know, numbers and, you know, try and make a diagnosis. Um, when I initially got sick, they're looking at like, yeah, you're a fat, middleweight white male. You must be having a heart attack. So they kept testing me for heart attacks. But you would think after you've tested me 15 times and there's no evidence of a heart attack, you might, just might want to consider that it's something else. Uh, that right. really didn't happen. So, And um, I think I hear that all the time with concussion and TBI folks. You know, they... 
have been told you're, you know, the CT is clear. There's no, we don't see any problems. Well, it's a metabolic disorder. So you probably won't see any imaging difficult. You won't see anything on imaging that you can say Mm -hmm. that's the problem in the brain because it's metabolic. Unless you've, you've had a whole bunch of scans prior in your life to having these injuries. And and maybe that's something we should start doing is, you know, take an MBA, uh, an MRI or a CT when somebody's five or 10 or 15. So you can have some baselines. That's what they're starting to do with the pro athletes. You know, you come in, you're joining the New England Patriots or whoever, we're going to get all these baseline measures from you. So if you get hurt, we can see the, the degree of hurt that you are. Right. Well, I think, I think sometimes they're doing more the functional assessment regarding, because they won't see nothing. They won't, you can't necessarily see a concussion on imaging. Mm-hmm. So if they do the functional abilities, like looking at cognition, okay, this is what your attention was before you got all these hits. The problem with the we can go into football because a lot of times we're talking about con- layered concussions from a very young age playing football. So that's a whole nother discussion about maybe five years mm-hmm. old would have been the best image, but there's been a lot of changes. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're, they're talking about ways to track it better. Uh, but I mm-hmm. think more medical knowledge across the board. So for PCPs, for emergency room docs to know that, yeah, we need to keep more follow up, more intervention is needed mm-hmm. with people after concussion so that they don't get home and it's months later and they've been in a dark room and then they're depressed. They cognitively are doing much worse. That I think mm-hmm. that has been what I've seen the biggest problem, and you can speak to your own experience regarding that certainly. Yeah, fortunately, I didn't have the uh, you know can't go into the light uh, events and stuff like that. There's just a constant push to get back to normalcy or whatever that is uh, to claim my life back, but you know. If the athletes with the finest tuned bodies in the world are getting this shredded, you know, there's obviously something you're missing because they're the ones that should be able to heal the quickest. Their, their bodies are primed for healing and they have some of the best resources in the world for healing. And if they're not, something's really being missed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe when Elon Musk is finished with Twitter and spends more time on his uh, neural link technology. Maybe we'll just all have implants that can measure you yeah. know, everything that's going on in the brain and, and sensors and, you know, what got bashed where and what's bleeding or leaking or bruised or scarred. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we'll have better information then, but you know, that's down the road. We've got to deal with what we've got now. Right. Right. Well, I think you've given us some, I usually ask about tips, but I'll ask one at the end. You've given us some good tips to look into. So our kind of wrap up round, I ask a fun question. Okay. What's your favorite holiday food and who does it remind you of? Oh, wow. Um, I'm not really good with favorites. So, you know, the Jewish culture, we have a number of major holidays and the family comes together, different branches of the family. So I think 
We have a thing that's similar to donuts on Hanukkah called sufganiyot. Mm-hmm. And they're they're sort of like an old jam buster, if that's what you call them in your neck of the woods. I don't uh, know. Jelly donut. <laughs> like a jelly okay. filled donut? Yeah. Okay. But that's what they were initially, and now they've gone, you know, Pinterest crazy and everything. And you can make, you know, a thousand different versions of them. So uh, those I really enjoy, but I'd rather they were, you know, like one quarter the size. And, uh, you know, I'd rather have four of them, four small ones instead of one big one. But, uh, you know, anything strawberry or raspberry, uh, cappuccino, uh, I'm in. Awesome. Awesome. So in closing, what is one thing you would tell a survivor after a concussion or brain injury? And then we'll say goodbye. I would say that there's a phrase, uh, comparison is the theft of joy. Yeah. And it's so true. Um, I mean, there's a biblical commandment, don't covet for a reason. And if you try to compare your recovery to somebody else's, it's just going to make you dismal that, you know, and it's going to strip. Every time you make yourself dismal, it takes a little bit out of your ability to connect with joy. And it's hard to do. I'm not saying it's easy, but the less you can compare your journey to somebody else's, I believe the more beneficial it will be for you there, you know, unlike our current supply chain, there is no shortage of joy. It's just your ability to seek it out and go for it and implement it into your life. And the more you can do that mindset is so much a factor in these recoveries. You know, the better your mindset, the, the easier it's going to be for you. Again, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but easier is a big win. Those are great words. Well, Fred, thank you so much for being with me here today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. I hope to talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. Please visit tbitherapist.com for more information on brain injury, concussion, and mental health. The information shared on today's podcast is intended to provide information, awareness, and discussion on the topic. It is not clinical or medical advice. If you need mental health or medical advice, please seek a professional. 